The following is a message from Charles Telfer at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online at wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474, wscal.edu or call 760-480-8474. 74. As we remain standing, let's turn in God's Word to John chapter 4. We'll be considering John chapter 4. Our focus will be on verses 11 through 26. We considered verses 1 through 15 last semester when I was with you, and I'd like for us to focus on this second section of this very rich passage. We'll read together then. Let's begin in verse 5. John 4, beginning to read God's word in verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. So he, that is Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. Would you bow your hearts with me in prayer? Let's pray together. <clears throat> our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we recognize that you are the one who teaches all things. You are the Messiah. We confess you. We thank you that you have taught us and you have 
drawn our, our faith to yourself. We pray that you would be our lifelong teacher. We ask that everything we do might be uh, part of our discipleship in the school of Christ, that our academic work here would be part of our uh, work as students of yourself. Teach us, Lord, in your providential dealings. Teach us through our classes and teach us through the reading, the exposition of your word. Accompany us now, we pray. And uh, may we be and show ourselves good disciples of you, we pray. Lord, we ask it uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, well-beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we open this gospel week by week, the evangelist John draws our attention again and again to one particular figure, as he tells us at the end of the gospel who that is, and that is this one. That is this figure, as we see very explicitly in verse 25 and 26. The woman says, there's one who will teach us, who will teach us all things. And Jesus puts all the attention right on himself. He says, I'm here. This is me. And so our focus, as always, as we consider the Gospel of John, is here on our Lord Jesus Christ. The Samaritans were expecting a, an instructor. They were expecting a taheb. They were expecting a restorer. And Jesus says, I come and I fulfill all your expectations and so, so much more. Jesus has asked the woman for a drink. And Jesus has offered to this woman uh, a drink that's far more powerful and potent than she could possibly imagine. He's the one who fulfills the offers of Isaiah which speak about drawing wells, water from the wells of salvation with joy in 12.3 or in 49.10 that speaks about a salvation, uh, salvation as being having streams of water constantly in hand and never thirsting whatsoever. Oh, dear lady, if you only knew that you have in front of you the one whom God gave so that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting water, you would ask him and he would give you and you would never thirst again. But does the lady understand as, we, as we, uh, our text opens here in verse 16? Not yet. She will, but she doesn't yet understand. And I suggest then that we consider these words. There's far much more here than we can possibly deal with this morning. But I suggest we understand them under two main headings this morning. First, that Jesus receives broken people. And secondly, that Jesus brings in a renewed age. So let's consider how Jesus receives broken people first. I think it's good for us to read the gospel kind of quickly through or to listen to it as a whole because then big things stand out to us that we might not have, uh, that we don't necessarily notice if we only read it in small chunks. What have we been, been considering just before this time? Who's, who's Jesus been going after in chapter 3? He's going after Nicodemus. So Jesus goes after a man in chapter 3. He goes after a woman in chapter 4. He goes after someone who's orthodox in chapter 3. He goes after someone who's unorthodox, at least, if not heterodox. He goes after someone who is uh, politically, religiously respected in a position of power and authority. He goes after someone here who's quite the opposite, who's excluded and outcast and probably poor and shunned. Jesus is seeking all kinds of people. He seeks the somebodies and he seeks the nobodies. And that includes each of you here today. That He seeks people like us. People that have it together 
and people that don't have it together at all. And why is it, as, as verse 16 opens, we kind of have a, there's a rather sharp turn here. It's rather abrupt. Why does Jesus do what he does here? What is he doing? He, he's, he's deliberately drawing attention to the, the woman's marital status. This is the most sensitive, this is the most uh, touchy part of her life. And he's drawing, he's putting his finger directly on it. He's, he's saying, bring your husband, well knowing that she doesn't have a husband. And so he draws out this uh, confession on her part that uh, she does not have a husband. And that she's living with someone who's not her husband. Now, that for us, uh, following the European example, which we generally do, is maybe no big deal. But that used to be called living in sin. The scripture calls it fornication. It was a scandalous situation. And surely, in, uh, her, at this time, it was a scandal, right? But Jesus is drawing his attention right to this point. The fact that this woman is living in, uh, in adultery and has had five husbands. How many has she buried? How many have divorced her? We don't know. But it's, uh, it's, it's a shameful, painful uh, situation. And as we step back, is it not the case that Jesus often, as he deals with people, and he's so flexible in his dealing with people, he often takes his finger and he touches us right at that sensitive point. Why, what does he do with that rich young man that he loves, Scripture says? He says, sell everything you got. And why is that? That's the problem. See, that's the problem. It's the, it's the, it's the, the money has got a hold of him. The money is, is his idolatry. And Jesus says, that's the, that's the issue. Jesus speaks to us, and Jesus lays hold of us right at our sensitive point. Right at the, he, he has to deal with us not as we present ourselves, but as we really are. And as we really are before him as sinners. He, can't, he, he wants to do us good, and he must address really who we are. And so he's going to address uh, our deepest guilt, our deepest despair, our deepest... Uh, perversity because he cares for uh, because he cares for us why is it that in the service every week in the liturgy that we have the reading of the law it's like Jesus exposing our need again and again why so that he can deal with us and he can take his gospel and convince us of it that he loves us and that he has our best interests very much uh, at heart you know, the devotional, if you're here on Tuesday, the devotional on Hosea was the perfect introduction for this passage, is it not? Perfect introduction. Why? Because Gomer, uh, Hosea's wife, as was expounded then, that's us. That's us. Who is this Samaritan woman? It's you and it's me. We are broken, sinful people. Can you, are you growing in a sense of that? That who are you? A sinner saved by grace. We are, uh, we are uh, uh, Hosea's wife. We are, the scripture often talks about us as covenant breakers in sexual terms. We're adulterers, adulteresses. We've been unfaithful. Where we're, something was expected of us and we've not lived according to the standards that God has given us. We've been unfaithful, right? But nevertheless, God pursues uh, through, uh, through Hosea. He pursues that woman. And here's Jesus pursuing this woman despite all her brokenness, despite... Her sin, because Jesus receives only one kind of people, and that's broken people back then and uh, even today. 
we're all in need of having someone come and rescue us and woo us. And Jesus comes to her and Jesus comes to us. And this is good news to us. This is good news to us. What does Jesus say to us? I trust that he, Jesus has wooed you. I trust that he has drawn you to a, a relationship with himself by faith. Right? But what does he say to you? He says, you can't get your life together on your, your own. You can't clean up your acts before you come to me. You need me. And I know all about you. This woman is very explicit. If you look on in, in 29, she says, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can you see where she ends up? Look at verse 39. He told me all that I ever did. Jesus knows me, yet he accepts me. He loves me. It's his work on my behalf that, 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 that's, the, that's the essential thing, not my work, not my morality that cleans me up and makes me acceptable to God. Now I'd like to, to stop. This is the gospel. His love for us, not our love for him. But I'd like to stop for a second and just think about an implication of that in one or two ways for us. If this is the case, that he knows you at your worst and he still loves you, then, then this, is this not liberating? This is liberating news. Liberating news. And let me put it this way. You're in one, on one sense, you're freed from having to get the A. You're freed from having to get the A. It's not so much of what we do trying to please other people. I want to look good to this person, to these people, etc., etc. And if Christ knows us, knows everything we ever did, he knows us at our worst and yet accepts us, we can be free from the fear of man. And we're free. We don't have to get the A. We don't have to, to, uh, to always come off as, as perfect to everyone around us because we're freed. If he, he knows uh, who we are, receives us in gospel grace. And that's the most, that's the most uh, freeing and most wonderful possible thing. But then look on. The woman responds in verse 19, and we could talk about whether she kind of psychologized this and talk about her changing the subject. Let's talk about religion, get off my life. Uh, that, that would be interesting to talk about. And I'm going to take it for granted that you know a good bit about the Samaritans, that you know about their, uh, the history where they come from, that you know about their rejection of most of the Old Testament except for the law, and that you know about their focus on this one particular place, which is Gerizim. This woman whatever else is going on, she puts her finger on the main issue between herself as a Samaritan and him as a Jew. The question of place. She is, she is standing, Jesus is sitting presumably, at this well that's just, this, is, this whole spot is just loaded with holy geography. If you look to the west, you can see Jacob's tomb. It's right there. If you look to the north, you can see Mount Ebal. That's where the law, that's where the altar was built and the law was, uh, was read. If you, look to the, uh, if you look to the east, you'll see Shechem. If you look to the south, you'll see this Gerizim. This is where the blessings were read from the law. And this is where the, uh, this is the place, according to the Samaritans, that God had placed his name and that they had built an altar about 400 B.C. And... Uh, um, the Hasmoneans had come in and destroyed that altar about 128 B.C. So you can see there's, a, there's bloodshed and trouble between the two groups, even about this place. There's a lot at stake about this place. Jesus says some rather un, uh, politically incorrect things 
when he says salvation is of the Jews, you don't, you don't understand what you worship. This, is, this goes directly against our modern relativism. Our modern relativism says basically however you want to worship, that's fine. Jesus says no, it doesn't, it, it, there, there is ignorance in worship, there is appropriate worship. And he says, he says salvation is of the Jews. That's an exclusive statement. It's not a relativistic statement. And brothers and sisters, as you go into the world, be culturally relevant. Get to know the languages, the cultures of uh, wherever you go, wherever that is, throughout the world. But don't, don't, com don't uh, uh, compromise the gospel itself. Don't compromise the gospel itself. Uh, Jesus says, salvation is of the Jews. Paul talks about the oracles of God being delivered to the Jews. This is not debatable. This is where God has spoken through the Jewish people, ultimately climaxing in he uh, and himself, right? And Jesus, uh, uh, he doesn't uh, cut any slack on that point. But then after having said this, these great things about the Jews, and do notice that some people accuse the Gospel of John of being anti-Semitic, anti that that's absurd in light of this particular uh, verse. Do notice how uh, he relativizes the geography. He says all these great things, and basically the temple in Jerusalem is, coming, is obsolete. This place right here is obsolete, as is Jerusalem. And why is that? And then, again, he's pointing her back to himself. He's pointing her back to himself. That he's telling her that he is bringing in a renewed age. Not only does he uh, receive broken people, but secondly, that he's talking about bringing in a renewed age. She's looking for the Messiah. He says, the Messiah is here. He draws her attention to the text, and he says, he says, uh, the hour is now coming, and now is, that the future has arrived in the present with me. And all this, this, this holy geography is passé and passing away. Jesus is, uh, as we read the whole Gospel of John, we see Jesus presented to us as the new temple that we've already seen in chapter uh, 1. Jesus, uh, uh, in chapter 2, Jesus presents himself as the temple. He says, destroy this temple. In three days I will break it up. I will, I will raise it up. He was speaking about the temple of his body. Where is the place that you have to go in order to have God hear your prayers in order to be received by God? It is, it's not Jerusalem. It's through this mediator. It's through this Jesus. He says in a radical way, in chapter 1, verse uh, 51, he presents himself to Nathaniel as the stairway to heaven. It's remarkable, uh, uh, you Greek students know about, you can, when you ask a question, you can ask it assuming a positive answer or a negative. She assumes a negative answer when she says, you're not greater than Jacob, are you? Right? But here he's, not only am I greater than Jacob, I'm actually Jacob's ladder myself. I'm the one. I am the point of connection between heaven and earth. I'm the one that you have to worship God by, else you cannot uh, connect with God. The, I know we take this almost for granted, uh, and I know I'm passing over the question of God's spirituality and how that relates to worship, but uh, in a lot of the world, the, I, the, the, the question of geography is very important. If you've been with uh, observant Muslims, when, when that time of day comes, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for the proper place. They've got to know which way Mecca is, because that, that's very important to making prayers acceptable. As for us as Christians, it's, it's difficult for us to think about that. But 
Jesus is saying he's relativizing geography to such an extent that whether you're in Zimbabwe or you're in San Diego, you can, have, you can worship God through this one, because it's through our, the mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is good news. It's not the place, and it's not what you bring to your worship. It's not you, it's not your offering. It's the mediator that counts. And this is the gospel again, right? It's all about him. This is the good news. So let me, let me flip the application then as we close. And if I've said then, you don't have to get the A because you don't have to be driven by the fear of man and how you come off and how you appear to other people, as I've said that. But see, now, freed from that, do we not have here, if I might flip it, the, uh, the reason to pursue the A? And why is that? Because you've been loved even when Jesus saw you at your worst, because you've been given a stairway to heaven, because you've been given a true temple, our Lord Jesus Christ, so that you can be reconciled to God based on his achievements, who he is, not based on who you are, liberated from the old chains, can you not serve in, in, in the newness of the Spirit? He's the Spirit giver. You can't worship unless he gives the Spirit, right? He's the one who brings in the new age. And now, as you live the whole of your life in, in, in that new age, and by the power of that Spirit, can you not pursue academic excellence as a part of that? Do we, do we have to live in the old ways of fornication? We don't have to live in the old ways of fornication anymore. We can live in new ways by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? We can pursue an orderliness in all aspects of our life, an excellence, a comeliness, a prudence in all aspects of our life as we demonstrate that new spirit, that new age that Christ has made us a part of. Would you join me in prayer? Our Lord Jesus, we do worship you as the great prophet. We worship you as the one and the only one who can give streams of living water. And we pray you'd forgive us for seeking out broken cisterns to satisfy ourselves when we, and, and neglecting you. We thank you that you are the true temple, and by you and by you alone can we be reconciled to the Father. We thank you that we have the privilege of prayer in your name, and we are received based on your achievements. Lord, convince us afresh of the gospel. Grant us afresh of your Holy Spirit, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. And grant us uh, 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 effusions of grace that we might live in new ways in our married lives, in our sexuality, in our academic lives, in how we handle all things. And may we breathe of uh, the, the age of the, 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 the wind and the, the, the breath of the new age. And may that be obvious, more and more apparent to those who live around us. All praise and glory, worship and adoration be yours our great mediator and savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Copyright 2014, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.